Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 37 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by Tabbies.com, the best Delta edible on the market. Today is Monday, November 8th. Purdue struck again. Wisconsin is in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and with me today is my co-host Casey Mock. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Really enjoying this free time in the evenings now. Just got back from a workout, finally getting back in a nice little groove there. So feeling good, man. Feeling good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. My sports team's not so much. So thank God for the Buckeyes right now that they're kind of keeping me sane because all my other professional sports that are going on right now between everything going on with the Raiders, the Penguins are terrible. And then I'm a NASCAR guy, so Denny Hamlin even lost his thing last night. So it's been a rough little sports stretch here. So even though it was ugly, the Buckeyes getting wins are at least keeping me sane for the most part, man. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, your Raiders lost both their 2020 first-round picks. Yeah, that in class the, the now. Week and a half, yeah. Yeah, my you goodness. look back at that class now, it's just such a what-could-have-been feeling. Because there are three guys that should have been playing with the Raiders for a good period of their career and clearly had talent and just basically let their choices get in the way of their NFL career. And uh, you just hate to see it. Very unfortunate. But your Penguins, last place, I looked that up. I was looking at that earlier today because I was just seeing what the Blue Jackets were doing. And uh, on a three-game win streak, seven and three, kind of outperforming their expectations i guess this season bringing in a new new coach and uh got a lot of young guys from what i listen to on the radio that's really all i get that's where i get all my information basically common man and t-bone or morning juice in the morning so glad to see that they're doing better though yeah it's one of those i never really had anything against the blue jackets because there really wasn't ever a need to have a rivalry from a penguins perspective the jackets are a pretty new team the Penguins are very comfortable in the rivalries that they have. And without sounding cocky, there hadn't been, I guess, a, a reason from like playoff standpoint for the animosity. So I'm I'm actually going to at least be able to enjoy the Blue Jackets when the Penguins feel like right now they're entering their rebuild period. It was an awesome 15 years, but naturally those kind of periods of time don't last forever as we get to see. Naturally, we're doing college football and basketball Basketball, we'll do a little bit of a preview thing here on Wednesday, but like you have Minnesota, for instance. We've talked about how they're going to be really just giving that program a facelift. So this conference and what college football and basketball definitely understands that as well. But before we actually get into our game recaps here, over the last couple hours, Nebraska's Trev Alberts, new athletic director for them, has actually stood by Scott Frost. He is retaining him for the 2022 season. And you were telling me a second ago that not everybody was retained. So do you mind telling us a little bit about that before we get into this game? Yeah, I was listening to the radio on the way back. They broke the news on, on there and they were saying that Scott Frost is being retained, but four assistant coaches are being fired. I'm not sure if that's effective immediately or not. I, I would assume it is. I mean, they've got you know, two regular season games left and they're not going to make a bowl game. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens right now. And I, I don't know who they are either. They didn't list any names, but I'm sure that'll come out soon. 
we got to see them this weekend yet again play another very good team, tight and tough in the Buckeyes. I want to ask you a quick question. Nebraska, if they do lose even one of the last two games, there's no chance you think that this is lip service right now until we get into the offseason. Maybe a better guy that they think is potentially that someone they could get becomes available. I don't know about that because what's the difference between three and nine or five and seven at this point? You know what I'm saying? And if they chose to bring him back now, I I can't imagine that whatever happens their last two games is really going to affect what they think of him in the future. I just think they got to that, you know, Scott Frost did exactly what you and I thought he would. He went into that meeting and said, hey, you know what? We're getting better every year I've been here. We're just not over the hump yet. Like, we're look how close, like, we're almost there. And so he really sold himself on giving him another year. And, you know, they bought it. And, you know, I I'm I don't know if it's well-deserved. They are a better team than their 3-7 and seven record. But I don't know how much better, to be honest with you. No, it's a fair question because if you are improving, and it is evident that they're improving, but they haven't got the job done in games. You can keep it close as much as you want, but a fan base like Nebraska, at least from, I feel like the gauge we have, our social media platforms, we get just a little bit of Nebraska fandom out there, but they seem like a fan base that's obviously super passionate, but they're a little bit more self-aware right now that realize, hey, you know what? We need to be patient because Scott Frost, he's, first of all, he is kind of that golden child in terms of what they are in their history. You want to give him every opportunity to succeed. And I guess if you are Trev Alberts, you watch this team closely this year. I mean, I, I we, this is a great way. We'll start jumping in right now to the recap. So Ohio State went to Nebraska. They win the game 26-17. to 17, But this is just another example here where, for instance, Nebraska... All seven of their losses this year have come with within nine points. They're playing tight games, but what's it going to take, Casey, for them to start actually winning some of these close at the end? That's a great question. And what I really think is, was Nebraska's problem, specifically on Saturday, man, their special teams were terrible. They were terrible. Missed a I, did he miss one or two field goals? Two. He missed one in the first quarter and one in the fourth. Yeah. And, I mean, I think the second one was further away. Or I, 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 they, weren't, they weren't very far, you know, something that you would think a Big Ten kicker could make. And then, you know, right after they just moved the ball a little bit and then I believe stopped Ohio State or something, they, get, they have to punt the ball, and then the dude punts the ball 13 yards. Complete shag gives Ohio State great field position. You, you know, that's not really stuff that any coaching can can improve, in my opinion. Dude shanked two field goals. Dude shanked the punt. And, you know, that's six points that you that you lose. Oh, excuse me, from the from the field goals. And then, you know, who knows what happens from the, the punt. And it just... It was a it was a good game. It was a really good game. I think that Nebraska answered Ohio State and played very very well defensively. That that Jackson Smith and Jigba hitch. I don't know how in the heck he took that all the way, but that was that was their worst play by far. And I I mean you just replay it and you just see why. But I thought they played fine all day all day long. Ohio State executed when they needed to straight up. 
and I, I don't know if you're going to talk about Noah Ruggles here, but that was that was the difference in the game. You know, he misses one, they make two. It's like, it's a tie game at that point. Yeah, that would be a tie game. It was 26-17, right? Well, the final score is 26-17, yes. Yeah, so if you take away three from Ohio State and add six to Nebraska, it's a tie, it's a tie game, you know what I'm saying? So I... I I've really only watched Nebraska three or four times in depth this year, I would say. And I just feel like it's the same thing every single time. Team that just shoots themselves in the foot and can't get over the hump. It's like you were sitting in my head, Casey, because first of all, the first two things I wrote down about this game was for Nebraska, the special teams continue to rear their ugly head. This isn't the first time this year that they've really cost them. They cost them in the Illinois opener. They cost him in that Oklahoma game, and they definitely cost him against Ohio State. And it just, I have, and again, like you, I didn't get to see like start to finish a lot of these other games. I'm sure in a few of these other close losses that you can pinpoint special teams plays where there's a difference there as well. It really is a three team game. And I don't think a lot of people pay attention. It's always offense and defense, but just look at the flip side with Ohio State, and you bring up Noah Ruggles. To go on the road and hit 245-plus yarders in high-pressure situations, especially that last one, because I personally felt like Ohio State in this game was about a 10 to 14-point better team throughout. But the problem was is because of the mistakes that they had allowed that if you do miss a kick there, you're putting Nebraska in a position to win a football game. And that's when you have guys like this that you hear. It's funny to compare a starting pitcher to a kicker, but in baseball you hear the term a stopper. And a guy, if you're on a four or five game losing streak, you have to give the ball to your ace to really just get everything settled down and get back to the ways you are. And Noah Ruggles is kind of like that for the Buckeyes where here's a crazy stat for me, Casey. And if there's one thing that really has me nervous over these last few games is that they've been to the red zone nine separate times in the last two weeks and they have two touchdowns to show for it. That's an unbelievable stat. And I guess... From a positive standpoint, at least you have a guy like Noah Ruggles that you're able to at least get three when you're not getting into the end zone. But you got to start scoring. And I, the last thing I'll say before I go back to you and we can get a couple more thoughts is that the offensive line this year in the three biggest games that Ohio State has played has been wildly underwhelming. It's a massive line with NFL talent throughout. It's kind of like I saw something this, what I think on Saturday, it might have been on Twitter, where the 2017 or 2018 Alabama team had the most talent you'd ever see on one side of the ball. And it just coincidentally was the Alabama team that didn't make the playoff. You still have to execute. It doesn't matter how much talent you have on a team. And right now I don't want to pick on these kids because they are kids still. It doesn't matter that they're six, eight, three fifty, or whatever these offensive linemen are. But Dewan Jones, I was a little disappointed on Saturday. There was at least two penalties. I can remember that killed drives and that's kind of what the moral of this whole Saturday was. It felt like every time Ohio State had a chance to end this football game, they would have a critical penalty. Stroud might take a sack or he might throw a pick. Just a lot of, I guess, sloppy things that Ohio State desperately needs to clean up if they truly want to compete for a national title. Yeah, and really for that game specifically, it seemed like neither team wanted to win the game. You know, Ryan Day is passing the ball with, I, I think, under two minutes left, and Stroud gets strip-sacked, and uh, oh my gosh, what happens if that, if Nebraska recovers that? Oh my goodness, that was that was a crazy call. 
I completely agree with you, though, Wally. The red zone woes are a very, very bad sign. It's just the last two teams they played are the last are the best two teams they played all year outside of Oregon. And the offense doesn't look as good. It just doesn't look as good. So that that is very concerning. You're right. I guess when you are in a situation like that, it's nice to have a I said he was the best kicker in the in college and he might be cuz I don't think he's missed a kick yet. But I mean, overall, you knew this was going to be a a kind of a trap game. Or at least I did. I I felt like either Nebraska was going to finally get over the hump or they were going to just lose the way they normally lose. That's really what happened. Lost by nine points, basically one score. So, yeah, I mean, you could take a lot away from this game, but I think, you know, this coming week will say a lot more, too, about this Ohio State team. It will, and I, I want to say one positive about the Buckeyes because I was really critical there that you have to say positive do as much as negative at points and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I know you mentioned him and you're going to pick up on this trend real quick. And Casey, you were the one that pointed it out to us on Saturday, but what a day for big 10 wide receivers. And it started here with Jackson Smith and Jigba second most receiving yards in Ohio state history. And there's been some tremendous names that go through that school has the most receptions in receiver or in Ohio state history with 15. So just very impressive from him. But Terry Glenn, the late, great Terry Glenn, his record stands for at least one more Saturday. But I do have one more negative comment before we go to the next game. This feels a lot like a 2015 offense for me where I'm just looking all around and there is so much talent at every single position and I'm just waiting for that game where it clicks. Because we're seeing the flashes, but... Like those kind of teams with this kind of quality around, it is inexcusable to be looking at so many drives being derailed by penalties, by mistakes. And I, I will hopefully we're going to see this next week with Purdue because this is a game that all of a sudden I think that Ohio State and a lot of people are going to be looking at a lot closer. And as a Buckeye fan, I think I'd prefer that. I don't want any chance that this team is overlooking Purdue. And I think that will be gone with the game. We will be talking about here in a bit, but any last words for this game for you, Casey? Not so much on the game, but when I, when I was listening to the radio, I forgot I wanted to mention this. So Scott Frost is 15 and 27 in his record in his head coaching career at um, Nebraska. Five of those wins are against FCS or non power five schools. So he is 10 and 27 when you take out his his five wins against the FCS or non-power five school. So I just thought that was really interesting. He has not, I think he, what they say, six and 17 against the Big Ten West, if I remember correctly. So yeah, he it would be nice for him to win these last two games. Have a little bit of momentum going into next year because they definitely, definitely need it. It's without question it will be one of the hottest seats in the country next year going into the year for Scott Frost. He bought himself another year from the looks of it. He's got to actually capitalize now, and I think all three of us here are rooting for it. But we'll go into our next game where Illinois surprised all three of us by getting a win at Minnesota. Makes you almost wonder why you were a little surprised at times because this Minnesota team, man, you really can't get a gauge on them week to week. They'll one week... 
They'll beat a Nebraska team that we just talked about, can take anyone in the country, it seems like, to the brink. And then they follow it up with losing to Illinois at home. They lost earlier this year to Bowling Green at home. Just really makes you wonder what this is. They didn't score until inside five minutes left in this game. Was this a credit to what Illinois has been able to do? Or is this a Minnesota team that just seems to... You, I mean, they really just don't show up sometimes. I cannot stand this Minnesota team. I am done with them again. They tricked me. They won four straight after they beat or lost to Bowling Green, and I wrote them off then. They tricked me, and I picked them, and they just, oh, my gosh. I'm so mad. I, I was so mad about this game. I was so mad about another game I'll get at later, too. Oh, my gosh. Not That's all I have to say about Minnesota. Illinois is a tricky team to kind of assess, too. My goodness, they beat Penn State, Minnesota, Nebraska. They have three quality wins is what I'm getting at. And there are times where they just, I don't know how they won a single game. But, I mean, they they didn't even do that on Saturday. They scored 14 points. Their defense played tremendous. And, you know, they... They've made Tanner Morgan throw the ball more than what I think Minnesota wants to, and I'm pretty sure that's what you said in the uh, in your preview and your prediction is that they're going to try to make Tanner Morgan throw the ball, and, and they did that. He threw two picks, and you know that that's the difference in the game, really. So good for Illinois. That's awesome. I think Brett Bielema has a lot of momentum. They they still might not even make a bowl game, but he's got a lot of things that he can hang his hat on. That's for sure. After this year. They probably won't make a bowl game this year because of a few of those critical losses. And it almost bothers me more when you look back at that Maryland game where they had the ball at Maryland's 35 with under five minutes left, the chance to ice it, and they punted. Like, that's going to bother me the rest of this year because they would be 5-5 five and five had they held on to that game. And the way this team really is built, they're like little Wisconsin. They're mini Wisconsin. They, they are going to run the ball come hell or high water they don't want to throw. Their defense is going to be solid. They're well coached. Maybe not have the most athletes, but they're going to at least keep it a game. And if you're not able to make them throw the ball, they're going to surprise a few teams. We saw that happen with those games you mentioned. And when you look back, I was really surprised that Illinois, We at the beginning of this year, their, their following game after beating Nebraska, they played UTSA. And they lost 37-30, and we were so quick to say, Kind of like what you just said with Minnesota. You fooled us. I'm tired of you, Illinois. We finally give you a little credit for beating Nebraska. UTSA just so happens to be undefeated and ranked 15th in the country, according to AP poll anyways. That it all of a sudden is a, a much more challenging team, like you said, to evaluate. He's definitely got this program going in the right direction. I'm thrilled for Illinois fans because they're not going to be Ever, I don't think they're going to be like the 10-2 and two team ever, the way he's building them. But to have this Wisconsin-style approach, there's no reason to believe they can't go 7-5 and five on like a good year, go to, a, a, you know, an average bowl. You know, and that, that's Illinois' like goal. It should be their goal for a year anymore. And then Minnesota, you drilled it. I'm not going to say much about them. Tanner Morgan, so disappointing in the last few years after how promising the start of his college career was. And I think these running back injuries have finally caught up to Minnesota. Running game wasn't the same here. 
I know Illinois' defense is good against the run, but it wasn't... It felt like it was more of what it, Minnesota didn't have than what Illinois did. And unfortunately, for Minnesota, now they kind of have to run the table. Do you have anything else you want to add here? Nope. I, I'm all good. I, I hate Minnesota, and good for Illinois. Saying something nice about Illinois is getting a lot easier these days. And we just talked about the team that Brett Bielma is trying to replicate. Wisconsin went to Piscataway and just beat the brakes off of Rutgers. This game was over before it started. Adding insult to injury, Aaron Crookshank, the former Badger, got hurt out for the year on his opening kickoff of this game, which is just a real shame because I, I think that he really wanted to play and play well against his former team here. And not only did that go up in smoke, the rest of his season did, which likely a lot of the, I guess, skill and chance for this Rutgers special teams or offense to get points is gone now too. Dark day for Rutgers. We obviously put way too much praise on them early in the year. They're a terrible, terrible football team. But Wisconsin on the flip side, you win this game 52-3. to Graham Mertz clearly had his most comfortable get day in the year. 11 of 16, three touchdowns and a pick. But this is a recipe for success for Wisconsin. You had over 370 yards more than Rutgers in this game. Purely showed how balanced they tried to be. There wasn't really any good thing to say about the Rutgers side. And there really wasn't anything negative to say about Wisconsin side unless I'm missing something. So, Casey, I'll give you a quick word here. But we're going to probably not spend too much time on this game because I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, this was one of the one of the two games that I stayed away from. thought it was going to be very, very boring. Two not very good offenses. It just so happened that, you know, Graham Mertz played his best game of his of the year. And it wasn't, I mean, it was good, but was it fantastic? No. You know, Wisconsin just ran the ball down Rector's throat. And I didn't even see that stat until uh, you said it, that they had 372 more total yards. That, I mean, that is a whooping. So dark days at Rutgers right now, after such a promising start, is disappointing. But here come the Badgers, man. Here come the Badgers in the Big Ten West. And and I guess look out the big for the whole Big Ten, I guess. Yeah, we'll we'll see just because the Big Ten West it's such a the offensive side is so much weaker than the the East. Hopefully whoever it is can at least make it a fun Big Ten championship game, but that remains to be seen. One of the teams that might be fighting for a Big Ten West spot here as well is the Iowa Hawkeye team. And they traveled to Northwestern in one of the ugliest games I think that you would ever see. Iowa wins seventeen to twelve. Unfortunately for Spencer Petrus. He hurt his right shoulder in that Wisconsin game late in that fourth quarter. And he did try to go out and grit it out and start. But Kirk Ferentz even said after his first couple throws, there was no zip on the ball. They go to Alex Padilla and he stepped up. He got the win. I know it wasn't the sexiest stat line. What, 18 of 28, buck 72. But he did what he had to do. And this Iowa team, I think that this is who they are now. They have a very good defense and an offense that regrettably is going to keep all their opponents in games. Casey, when you watch this, I guess, what was your big thought? I mean, I for me at least, I had to think that this Iowa team, it's going to be really difficult for them to get to Indianapolis at this point. Yeah, I I would agree, man, that this offense is just really, really bad. Meanwhile, their defense forced three more turnovers on Saturday. That defense has been outstanding for the most part of this entire season. 
Just really disappointing offense. You know, Northwestern-wise, we knew they were bad, and and they really haven't shown us anything other than confirming that, in my opinion. They can't score either. A lot like the Big Ten West teams, I feel like, have trouble scoring. So, yeah, this was the other game that I was avoid going to avoid watching. I knew it was going to be low-scoring, boring to watch. So I don't really have too in-depth of a take. No, there really isn't a lot to be said about this game. It's kind of why I stayed pretty short with it, too. But if I am going to talk about Northwestern, good or bad, take it however you want to take it. But Andrew Marty is much more willing to sling it than those other guys we've seen with Northwestern this year. I think on the right Saturday, that could be a real plus. But at the same point, it could lend you to lose to teams that you shouldn't lose to because he has been more inclined to throw an interception or to take a sack because he's trying to make something happen. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a good gauge for the rest of the year for Northwestern to figure out what they want to be in the future with this kid and with these guys here. But last thing I'll say here is that Iowa's playing Minnesota next week. It feels like a very important game because clearly it is. If the you lose that, you're done. You're out of the Big Ten West race. And I really don't know what to make of it, so you'll have to come back on Wednesday after we do a little bit of research and give you our thoughts on that game as well. But we want to remind you guys that Pigskins and Nylon is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best LTA edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey... If you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tab Ease offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. So please make sure to go follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tabby's Co. That's Tabby's Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbies.com and with the promo code BIG10, that's B-I-G-1-0, you can take 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get back into our game recaps here where Michigan State became the second top five team in the country this year to lose against Purdue. And I have to start with the stat that I saw during this game I'm sure plenty of you at home probably saw it as well if you were watching here. But it was just insane. Purdue has 17 wins now as an unranked team against top five teams in the country in their history. Not only is that the most in college football, it's the most by six. This Purdue team has such a knack for finding ways to really give very talented teams fits. and But at the same point then, I guess lose games earlier at other points in the year that you would imagine they have no reason to. I want to first, I guess, start with that. Just from a an observation standpoint, when you see that, that's an insane stat, first of all. Is that a credit to Purdue? And I guess their early days being so pass-happy that it might have been, you know, kind of a shell-shock experience for some of these top teams? Or do you have another explanation? Because when I heard that, I literally don't know what to make of it. I really don't either, to be honest with you. That's crazy. I guess, uh, I mean, one one way you could twist it is that Purdue is never never ranked. So 
they always have an opportunity to be an unranked team, to be a top five team whenever they get a chance. So that's one way you could look at it. But man, th- this game, we we knew something something weird was about to happen. And I, I don't think any of us pulled the trigger on Purdue Moneyline. But man, it played out exactly how I thought it would, really. I thought that Kenneth Walker would be able to run all over him, and he did. And then I thought that Aiden O'Connell would be able to throw all over Michigan State because they have statistically the worst passing defense in in the Big Ten. So, um, yeah, I mean, it played out exactly how it was. But I think Purdue made more plays than what Michigan State did in the end. And David Bell, man, my goodness, that that boy is good. If he's not the best receiver, that's that's one thing we should do. We should top five receivers in the Big Ten. You could argue one through five and place them anywhere. He played outstanding. He always does when when they have a big-time opponent. So it'll be interesting going into this week. But, yeah, I mean, a, a couple concerns that I have for Purdue, they can't run the ball at all. You know, more specifically, I, I, I should just focus on this game. I'm trying to, like, say, well, that's going to be a problem this week. Uh, but they, they couldn't run the ball at all this week. They really haven't been able to all year. Really, their their short little quick outs with that. He's a slot receiver, but they've been playing him at running back lately. So that their little quick stuff they do with him is basically their run game. You know, Jeff Brom and, and really Purdue, since I can remember, have always had creative offenses, spread you out, throw the ball over the place. So it, it was it was a great win. Everybody felt it coming. Everybody felt it coming. We it's weird. We're like it's weird that it was Michigan State was only a two and a half point favorite, but then we're like, oh, okay, at Purdue, Purdue's decent, three thirty time slot. They're really good at something that Michigan State is really bad at covering. So it just it was a perfect recipe. I I I'm not sure I'm gonna discredit Michigan State too much. O'Connell had a career day. He threw for over 500 yards. That's insane. And I'm not really going to put Purdue on a pedestal either. I still think they might be the second or third best Big Ten West team. But, I mean, they they have a chance to prove it this week, obviously. So those are really my my thoughts on, on how that game went. I think Kenneth Walker should still be in a Heisman top three. I think he, he is clearly best player on that team and one of the best players in the nation. I couldn't agree more. No, that is so well said because a lot of times these running backs or players that I feel like that are on teams that don't typically get Heisman consideration, it takes one loss or one upset loss for them to somehow just get discredited. When he played outstanding in this game, it wasn't a thing of what Kenneth Walker didn't do. If Kenneth Walker, I guess, wanted to win the Heisman, if he was going to get kicked out for this, he should play corner. Because this defense has been just, uh, I mean, this is an obscene, insane stat to me here. But get a load of this. A team that had over 400 in total yards and runs the ball the way Michigan State does. They didn't have 25 minutes of possess- or time of possession against the Purdue team that can't run the ball. I mean, that just, it's an insane thing. When I was looking at this back, I'm like, wow, yeah, it feels like Purdue had the ball a lot. I want to check into that. And it was insane when I saw you have over 10 minutes more and I mean, it goes into, first of all, credit to Aiden O'Connell. Like you said, career game. I mean, third highest Purdue passing yards in history. And Purdue, we know what they are. If there's one school, it's hard to 
break passing records, it's them because they've been doing it longer than everybody else has been doing it. And But the thing that I guess got me was the names in front of them. It wasn't Drew Brees. It wasn't Kyle Orton. It was David Blau and Curtis Painter. So that's just a, a weird little thing, food for thought for you guys. But as for Michigan State, I think that you're right that we shouldn't discredit them too much because I think they were a little overvalued at three. Now, the committee had to put them there from what they've done. I'm not saying that they were overvalued, that they shouldn't have been placed there, but this is a team that very well could have lost to Nebraska. I'd argue should have. It's a Michigan State team that very could have, and I'd argue should have lost to Michigan. They're a roughly, they're like a nine-win team right now. Maybe 10 with the bowl games, if you want to consider that. They're a very good team. They can compete with anybody on any given day, but they're not on that tier one status that I think we wanted to put them at. I think that they can get there in time with what, what Mel Tucker's doing. It's clear that he's got that locker room bought in. I just don't think they're quite there yet. And that's not a, a bad thing to them. It's just they arrived early and people are going to overreact and jump off them now. But I, the last thing I'll say on this game and I'll let it go is that David Bell, you talked about how great of a game this was for him. It wasn't even the best game he's had in the last three, four weeks because he had an even better game against Iowa. This is a kid that's been special and it just kind of frustrates me that we didn't get to see more of him and Rondell Moore together because that Purdue offense could have really done some special things and regrettably it just didn't happen. Do you have any final thoughts on this game before we throw it over to Penn State in Maryland? I guess one thing that I didn't mention was that... Um... Michigan State was without one of their more explosive receivers this game, too. Jalen Naylor did not play. And I, I don't know if he makes an 11-point difference, but I, I think he does make a difference. So that's something to consider as well. And then, you know, I I, I just want to, you know, echo what you said about David Bell. That, that I mean, that, that dude is really, really good. And, yeah, I, I can't wait to see him this this coming week. That's that's all I really have on on this game, though. And I should have said it earlier because you asked about the idea of ranking the top wide receivers and whatever. It's a This is one of the few conferences and questions that the rankings, we almost don't even have to do because here in a few years, the top five guys in the Big Ten, they will all be high picked in the NFL draft. We're going to be able to follow their careers very closely because between Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, David Bell, Rakeem Jarrett, God, there's so Jahan many. Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson, who we're getting to here yeah. in a second. But we three guys that over 200 yards and over 10 catches on Saturday. It's a great time to be a wide receiver in the Big Ten. That's for, Which is ironic because the quarterback plays just piss poor. But then our next game, we'll just get into it. You want to talk about Jahan Dotson? Penn State wins this game 31-14. to And if you didn't watch this game, that score's not really a real true like, I guess, portrayal of how this game went. Maryland scores and ties this game going into the fourth quarter, and they had all the momentum. It really felt like Maryland might have actually been able to steal this win. What happens, though, on the next play? Jahan Dotson takes it, I think it's 84, 86 yards to the house. One of his three touchdowns on Saturday, all of which came over 20 yards, and it's unbelievable how fast he looked in this game. He was running away from people. He had, I mean, this just feels weird. I feel like I'm just repeating Jackson Smith and Jigba 
and David Bell statistics for you, but he had 11 catches, 242 yards, and three touchdowns. He was the best of the three this day. And without Jahan Dotson, Penn State doesn't win. They do not win. Now, I'll throw it over to you with this, though. Talia Tagovailoa, he had, what, 50-some-odd throws in this game. I want to say 57. He's obviously supremely talented, and the Big Ten needs more talented quarterbacks like this. But in this league, you cannot win throwing the ball 57 times. Do you think that this was almost like a a little bit, just one tier up above what Rutgers, what we did, where we just overvalued what Maryland did early in the year before they got into conference play? Yeah, I would say a little bit, but I, I do think Maryland is in a better spot than what Rutgers is. I, I think Talia is a legit pretty good starting quarterback for the Big Ten, but you know when you when you can't run the ball, it's it's kind of the same issue that Purdue has. You know, I don't think they're going to be able to win it in big big time games. I know Purdue just did twice, I guess, so far this year. But yeah, I I mean, I am so mad at this Maryland team. So mad, not that they didn't win. They were down twenty four to fourteen. We had the line at ten and a half. They drive nine plays, seventy five yards, to throw a pick freaking six with two minutes left. Are you kidding me? Makes it a seventeen point game. Maryland doesn't score. Oh my goodness, that is that's a bad beat right there. So that's all I'm gonna say about Maryland. Penn State, on the other hand, you know. It's it's they they look like their typical Penn State self this year. This Penn State team they they threw the ball for three hundred sixty three yards. They only ran it for ninety three on thirty three attempts. They played clean football. I think that was really the difference in this game. I know the scoreboard doesn't look like it, but the two turnovers Maryland had cost them points. So yeah, I I think Penn State's in the same boat as. Purdue and Maryland, you got to be able to run the ball next week against Michigan or you might not win. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Really, both these teams are very similar to me, and I, I thought that going into the going into the week, and that's why I took Maryland plus a 10.5. Still so mad that they, they blew that. But anyway, you know, this wasn't a game that really surprised me or, or anything shocking happened. Uh, Sean Clifford continues to play the best ball of his career. I thought he played very well last week against Ohio State, too. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's all I have for, for this game. Yeah, I'm first of all, the Penn State's inability to run the ball this year is one of the most puzzling things for this entire conference for me because it's just something. It's not quite to the, like, the level of Wisconsin, but it's like right near that conversation where the idea of Penn State not being able to run the ball, it just it's so foreign to us when you've seen how many great running backs go through their solid offensive line. It's not the top what we've seen, but it's a solid typically. And it's just been really surprising. So hopefully that they can figure that out next year because without a running game, they're not going to win the Big Ten East. It, that is a, a must in that division. But then I, I will say, because you did talk about the pick six, First of all, that was my favorite play of this game. And I want to point out, though, because we never, we very rarely get to talk about a defensive player specifically. But Jair Brown in this game had eight tackles, a sack. In that touchdown return, he was all over the field. You could just, every time you looked, it seemed like he was flying and he was getting to the ball. So I was very appreciative of that because it definitely made 
a bad gambling weekend, a little less so, which I guess we, I still have to go and do the math on that. We'll, we'll have that for you on the Wednesday show. Hopefully it did make a little difference, but our next game here and our final game, and I'm going to throw it over to you very quickly. Cause I know that you're going to have some thoughts on it, but Indiana goes to Michigan and more of the same Indiana's offense is terrible. And Michigan, even though they lose Blake Corum on the first run of the game, and I haven't had an update yet on the injury, so if you do, please poke that out. But beyond that, this was just what we kind of have grown to expect of these teams. Indiana's offense sucks. Michigan took care of business. What was your takeaways in this game, Casey? Yeah, exactly that. I feel like this week was kind of kind of boring because outside of that Purdue game, and even that Purdue game, we kind of had a feeling like, all these games played out exactly how we kind of thought they would. And and this game did as well. Uh, we, we knew that Indiana's offense wasn't going to be able to do much. They And they did even smaller than what I thought. Really, outside of one drive, they, gosh, they, I don't know if they got past the 50-yard line outside of that one touchdown drive. It was brutal at points. And uh, McCauley, while I think he has some upside, they, they did not open the playbook for him, man. He did, they did not stretch it vertically. They still have Ty Freifogel. I don't understand that. Their longest catch was 20 yards by their tight end. So they, they just did not. Their offense was really, really bad, and McCauley was their leading rusher. They did do a, a few of those QB design runs that looked really good, although he missed a couple of reads, a couple of holes that I thought he could have really broken a couple of bigger ones. Can I ask uh, you a question real quick before we get into Michigan? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm just curious to, to know your thoughts too, because to me, when I watch this, I, I feel like it's officially happened where Indiana is kind of completely undone the success they had last year. And they're the Indiana Hoosiers again. Yeah, it, it certainly felt like that. And it felt like that the past few games, in, in my opinion, you know, Tom Allen, it looked like he tried to get his guys juiced on the sideline. He was trying, he was trying. But when you can't move the ball on offense, I'm sure it's frustrating as a coach. And then as a player, you're like, oh, God, here we go again. When your offense has just struggled so much this year. Yeah, it, it's, it definitely feels like it. Their record shows. I mean, shoot, they're 2-7. and seven. So, yeah, may, maybe falling back to the old Indiana ways, which would be unfortunate. I think it was pretty fun when Indiana was decent last year. And then for Michigan, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you said it that this wasn't anything that you know was crazy out of out of whack. They did exactly what they were been doing all year, basically. McNamara threw it eighteen times. He was efficient enough. Missed some throws still. Brought in McCarthy. Looked like a freshman. And this Indiana defense played hard the the whole game, the whole game. So I'll give them credit. This is not a a two and seven defense that McCarthy went out and saw some pretty good valuable snaps against. So it, you know, it just, it really just proved that this, this year, if Michigan is going to get above the hump, I think that they're going to have to rely on Kate McNamara to do it. Cause I just don't think JJ McCarthy is ready based on the past two games running the ball wise. Hassan Haskins had to take the load because you, like you mentioned, Blake Corm got injured on his first carry, and Donovan Edwards was out too. I did not know Donovan Edwards was out. So they would have been on their four string if they would have been rotating guys in. And while, what what's his name, Tavier Dunlap? 
yeah, Tavier Dunlap is somebody who I think is could be really productive for Michigan in the future. Apparently, he doesn't have a good grasp of the offense, and they're not really willing to put him in. And you know, when the game was closer, so Haskins ran the ball twenty-seven times for one hundred sixty-eight yards and a touchdown. I for some reason, whenever it's a night game, it seems like that's Hassan Haskins' night. He did it two years ago against Notre Dame at night. Did it against Washington earlier in the year. Just I don't know. It's really weird. So that that was really nice to see, but hopefully Blake Corm's all right and Donovan Edwards are all right. Because while Hassan Haskins is somebody that can take on a, a heavy workload, you don't really want your running back running the ball 27 times in a 22-point ball game. Receiving core looked all right. I mean, Cornelius Johnson went over 100 yards. We didn't see much from Andre Anthony, but I, I saw that he did leave in the second half, or it might have been second quarter. I forget which one it was. But the defense was flying around, man. The defense looked really, really good. Uh, like I said, outside of that one drive, looked like they weren't going to give up any points. But as you can probably guess, what am I going to say, Wally? What am I going to say about this Michigan team right now? I just assume it's going to be field, you can't be kicking field goals or something to that effect. Exactly. This Michigan team settled for three field goals. Once again, 34-yarder. 32-yarder, 34-yarder, you cannot drive the ball for six minutes, six and a half minutes for 63 yards, five and a half minutes, 62 yards, or uh, they must add a short field, 33 yards in three minutes, and kick field goals. You cannot do that. Well, let me ask you, you're the offensive coach. I think like a lot of people at home, you're the play caller at your high school. Now, let's just go in your brain here. Because it's clear that when you get into the red zone, the field is shortened in teams that are, I guess, like Michigan, where they are so determined to run the ball down your throat, they're able to kind of like even shrink the box even more so when they get to that part of the field. What do you do to counteract that to get your, I don't know if it's to open up lanes for that running game in the red zone or if you're trying to throw it a little bit before that, keep the safety honest. What do you do here if you're uh, calling the plays for Michigan? Yeah, and so Michigan and Ohio State are in two different positions, I feel like, because Ohio State seems like when they get into the red zone, they're unwilling to run the ball when they have a beast of an offensive line and a beast of a running back, whereas Michigan is afraid to not run the ball and afraid to pass the ball in the red zone. So the two situations are different. Ohio State did this past weekend try to run the ball, and you saw they got into third and twos and third and threes in the in the red zone, but they still settled so if, if I'm Michigan, you got to have – and I feel like they've done a good job of it so far for the most part. You have to build off the off of the plays that you're successful with. So, like, if you're very successful at running outside zone, you need to run a play action off of that outside zone, get the defense flowing the other way, boot McNamara out, boom, wide open, tight end across the middle, things like that. You have to build off of your plays and, and use them, like, differently. Does that make sense? So, like – Michigan is a very much inside zone, outside zone, power team, and they don't get very creative at all in in the passing game in general. But when they get in the red zone, it's very bland, very vanilla. So that would be the biggest thing that I would address. I would address getting creative. They uh, They don't hardly ever motion as much as what they did previously this even this season like with the Y back motions the you know quick little guys motioning in the back to get the defensive eyes 
you know, moving the opposite way. And it just, I don't know. It's, that's what I would do. I'd get creative a little bit and have a set of, you know, 10 pass plays that, you know, you're really comfortable with McNamara making the throw or JJ McCarthy making the throw when you're in the red zone and, and just stick to it because it, it can't get any worse. If you're going to settle for field goals anyway, at least try to see if what is working in practice can work in a game too. So I don't know. That's what I would do. No, that's outstanding. I, I'm sure the people at home appreciate it like I do. When I, I love having the three of us together just because you have an offensive play caller, you have a defensive play caller, and then you have me who talks a lot. So it's a really good dynamic here for the three of us. I, I think everybody appreciates that, Casey. So please, go back. I just I just had to ask that question before cutting you off. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really remember where I was at, but I, I guess... <laughs> My bad. I, I My probably, bad. No, I was probably just you know ranting about their... Settling for field goals in the red zone. Ohio State has the same problem, man. I, I just think it's going to bite him in the ass at some point. And it didn't, this game against Nebraska for Ohio State, it didn't against Indiana for Michigan, but it did two weeks ago for Michigan. It did bite him in the ass against Michigan State. You don't settle for three field goals or four field goals against Michigan State. You win that game. So it has bit Michigan in the ass. It might bite Ohio State in the ass. But yeah, so that that's a pet peeve of mine, especially as an offensive play caller. Like settling for field goals in the red zone is so so annoying. We didn't have a field goal kicker this year, so we were going like I I knew I had four downs anytime we got in the red zone, so that was really nice. But I don't know, I don't know what they what they can do because they they move the ball, they move the ball. And that's what you want: move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. They it's just frustrating, very very frustrating to see an offense that really looks good and you don't you don't put up points because you can't finish the job. I almost feel like, too, for teams like Ohio State and Michigan right now and other teams that are playing for a playoff, you almost have an interesting dynamic in the coaches' heads, too, where I feel like you're coaching more to just win. You, it, you don't have to, I guess... I, I'm trying to think how I want to word this, but there's almost like a lack of trying to fix problems that you don't have to. Like, let's say for Cincinnati right now, they have, like, a style point. Like, they have to win big to have a shot at the end of the year, where Ohio State and Michigan realize now, if they go 4-0 in their final four games, they're playing for a playoff. And I think that that changes the mentality of the way these guys actually call plays, where it's this play not to lose opposed to playing to win. And when you get into the red zone there for Michigan... I think it's more evident when you mention that you're running it because you're worried about what Cade McNamara is going to do. And if you're going to win a national title, it doesn't matter who you are. You have to always kind of keep that aggressive mentality and, and coach, not, not with fear, if more or less what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. And I think you were starting to get to the point that I – also would agree with is that these coaches aren't worried right now in the game at fixing what needs fixed they want to just exactly get points on the board whether it's a field goal or a touchdown and I well completely said. agree that was Michigan's issue early on and when they were beating the brakes off of Western Michigan team that's actually a pretty solid Western Michigan team and a Ball State team they were not trying to develop a passing game or get McNamara or McCarthy reps, very, very valuable reps. And so, yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think that they take it a game by game 
approach, which is the right thing to do. Every game is different, all that stuff. But if you have the opportunity to work on things, I think in, in a game, I think you need to do it. Well, and it just goes too to how every coach, every program has different expectations where if you're coaching Western Michigan, your job or your goal as a head coach going into the big house is we want to see that we have that fight, that we can compete with a big dog like this. Where if you're Michigan, it's like the expectation is we have to blow the doors off them. Like Every single coach, they have different goals and expectations where I can imagine that it's almost a... It's almost like a lackadaisical approach to it where I would rather blow the doors off them today because we're running the ball down their throat and have all the good things out there said about me and this team opposed to potentially throwing the ball a bit more, winning by seven, and having everybody be like, dude, this Michigan team can't even beat Western Michigan by more than seven points? Yeah, no, I think that is that is perfectly said, Wally. Absolutely perfectly said. God, I like all this agreeing we're doing right now. This is where we need Hayden back here because then we'll start throwing a little gas in the fire with each other a little bit. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. And we'll be back later this week for our little bit of a basketball preview. It'll only be like 15, 20 minutes where we were kind of like talking and workshopping in our group message. And we're thinking that we're going to almost continuously do a preview show throughout the year. Is college basketball, it's obviously a lot more challenging, I think, before the year to have a real gauge on what these teams are going to look like. So just keep your eye on that. But make sure you follow us on Twitter, at P&NPod, Facebook, at P&NPod, and Instagram also, at P&NPod. We're in the final month of the regular season, man. And like legit final month now. We are in November. And that just, it's cool. It's awesome because we have two divisions right now that are wide open. But at the same point, that means we only have three weeks of regular season football left for these teams, man. What I want to ask you first, this is impromptu, by the way. It is November 8th. Who is in the Big Ten Championship game? Not who wins it. What is the Big Ten Championship matchup? Wow. Wow. That is that is tough. I think Wisconsin gets in from the West. I really do. And then I think Michigan State. I think it's Wisconsin, Michigan State. I could definitely see it right now because we have, like, I, we don't, we talk about all the time about these kind of teams. Like, we don't really know what this team is. We don't know what that team is. And I think that we've kind of given Ohio State a pass at points this year with that, where I need to actually see a 60 minute game against a team that could give them fits. And I think Saturday is going to be an opportunity to at least make me feel a little better going into Michigan State, Michigan. Because if Ohio State comes out against the Purdue team now that we know has the capability to throw on anybody in the country, and they should be competitive regardless. The spread being at 19.5 right now, it's just Vegas is always so crazy. I don't know how they know stuff. That might make me feel better. So I'm a, the homer in me probably is working here. But I have Ohio State and Wisconsin. But, man, you could see any of these three teams in the Big Ten East that are sitting at the 6-0 and or 5-1 and in conference making it right now. And that's going to make this very, very fun. But now I yeah. want to hear your – oh, go ahead. Sorry, buddy. Oh, no, no, no. I was, just, I was just agreeing with you. And, you know, the way Ohio State has looked the past two weeks, just – and I said it last week, just 
leads me to believe that the I think these are the three toughest games of the year. This is the toughest three game stress that they had all year. The, I I just for some reason it just they have not shown me that they are the dominant Ohio State team of of the past and that they can roll through all three of these games. That's that's the only reason why I say that. And I think it's Michigan State, although it's a a home game, it is going to be a noon game that was not announced today. So that you know is really not an advance for anybody, but so I just think Michigan State gets it done against Ohio State on the road. And then Ohio State will beat Michigan still, which means Ohio State, Michigan State are tied. The head-to-head goes to Michigan State. No, and for good reasons to or that you have that there. So it will be at least entertaining here in the next few weeks to see how that plays out. I, I'm just, I don't know. It's just weird that you see an Ohio State kind of schedule like we talked about. It seems so easy going into the year, and we know how these things play out like they do. But how often can you think of a national champion that has to win this many tight or talented matchups in a row? I mean, going back, you had Penn State, then you have to beat Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan, Big Ten champion, first-round playoff, second-round playoff. That would be eight very difficult matchups in a row, and that just seems like a tall order for any college football team. But Casey, what are your final thoughts before we send the people on their way today? Yeah, I, I guess I have one final thought. Uh, not really a thought. I, I, I read it a couple hours ago. There was an article on ESPN posted, Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh says Big Ten acknowledged officiating mistakes and lost to Michigan State. And so obviously I read it, and, you know, he's been – after the game, he was um, not very pleased with the referee. And on Monday he said, as we all expected and we all saw, uh, mistakes were made. That was a response from the conference. Yeah, they made a mistake. And the the big one that he – there was only one play that he acknowledged, and that was the strip sack for a touchdown that they overturned. That was the only one that he pointed out, but he did. He said, no, I made my thoughts known throughout the game. And then he, he said that the conference admitted to errors and other plays throughout that game as well. So that – if you remember that game, which I do uh, very well – Every single, I think they went to replay five or six times, and every single replay went Michigan State's way. And it just kind of felt like it that whole game that it was kind of, you know, if, if Michigan really wanted to win that game, despite everything that went on, you know, they, they should have tackled Kenneth Walker in the backfield when they had a couple chances. That that freaking dude would get stuffed at the line of scrimmage a couple times and then bounce out for a big game, first down, and even a couple touchdowns, so... Seeing articles like that kind of make me laugh. While it was a big, big time, I guess, error, the one play that he pointed out, Michigan had every opportunity to win that game, settled for four field goals, like I mentioned. So just kind of funny to see, but that's, that, that'll be my final thought. I wasn't sure what mine was going to be, but when you started saying that, it kind of led me into my own, where we've seen, regardless of what team it is, the officiating this year in the Big Ten football-wise has been brutal. We've seen a lot of very obvious holding calls against anybody, good and bad for your team, go down. Like just for instance, give one good and bad for the Ohio State-Nebraska game to that way it seems fair. But Julian Fleming's catch on the sideline that was reviewed, even after review, I thought it was really kind of a tough no-catch call there. And it really could have had big implications because that would have been a first down opposed to a third and 19 there. 
And Ohio State, who knows, they might score a touchdown and put that game out of reach instead of having to kick a field goal and make it a six-point game. So that was bad. But then it, later for Nebraska, third down and 10 with like five and a half minutes to go, what looked like a clear and obvious hook on a pass downfield should have given Northwest, Northwestern, should have given Nebraska a first down about midfield with five minutes to go. And their offense was starting to finally get a little bit of a rhythm. And if that happens, who knows, maybe we're having a very different conversation today. So just throughout the Big Ten, officiating as a whole desperately needs to get better. Yeah, and that kick-catch interference on Nebraska. Yeah, like a yard to the side, I believe, right? Yeah, and, and the yeah the rules expert even came on and was like, yeah, that is not a good call. And, you know, while Ohio State didn't score on that drive, that 15-yard penalty is huge in field position. Like, I think Ohio State ended up punting from, like, the 50-yard line or something like that. And had that been punted from the 35, like, that just makes a big difference. And I know, you know, some people might not, you know, see it like that, but it really does make a big difference in my eyes. And I couldn't agree more. The The officiating this year has just been not, not to uh, the standard, I, I would say. I do want to say, the last thing, I swear we're going to let you guys go uh, after this. I'll let Casey say one more thing if he wants after here. But but I think it's hilarious, though, with these football, whether it be NFL or college, all these stations have their own rules and ref official now. Does it not feel that nine out of ten times the refs have the refs back? Like, unless it's an egregious error, they're always, like, looking out for their boys. And that makes it kind of, like, hard as a fan to always trust what they're saying. I agree, because that was an obvious call on that one but there are other times where these like what officials in the booth come in and they say something that i'm sitting there like dude i i don't know i think we're carrying the water for our boys here yeah and a lot of that is the the targeting rule for me where i'll think something is just a regular maybe kind of high hit and then this dude like somebody will come in and be like oh he he's gone he's you know he speared him with the side of his face mask and almost killed the guy or something that's like oh okay i obviously exaggerated there a little bit but it just seems like that targeting rule always seems to i i always seem to disagree with the rules expert but i also think that that needs to be changed in general bring out like a random fan too so you have mike Pereira, and then you have casey mock like being like actually mike i don't think that he tried to kill the guy with his head and then like then at least that we can have a conversation while they're doing a review instead of just blindly following this referee that wasn't good enough to still have a job in the nfl yeah, <laughs> yeah that is a fantastic idea and that would be hilarious that'd be really funny well that's gonna do it for us we, we kind of drum there at the end but we really do appreciate you guys so thank you for listening and we will see you back here later this week for Pigskins and Nylon episode 38 and college football and basketball will both be back. Can't wait.